you could keep that reading open, that would be a great help. And uh, flick over to the, um, the handouts uh, that's in your sheet, in your booklet. Well, as we come to God's word again, let me pray for us. Lord, we've sung that we want to be those who walk by faith and not by sight. And we pray that, Lord, you would uh, help us now as we look at your word. Pray that that faith would grow. Uh, Lord, that you would help us to see more clearly um, uh, the things of the cross, the things of uh, your kingdom. And that by walking by faith and not by sight, we would be those who bring you great glory in our lives. In Jesus' name. Well, I wonder how you evaluate your life. I wonder how you evaluate it, how it's going, how you think you're doing in your life at the moment. Is your life worth living? Is it a life that you are satisfied with? It's often only in the face of death uh, that we're forced to ask how our life is really going and evaluate it, whether we're living it well. I remember one occasion when um, the death of someone in uh, Fullwood, someone in our church, forced me um, to ask that question of my own life. Uh, If you're a doctor here, you may know the name Alan Johnson. Alan Johnson was a a, a professor of surgery at Sheffield, um, uh, died in 2006. And uh, uh, his his funeral was held at Fullwood. Now, Alan Johnson was an amazing man, uh, professionally, uh, right at the top of his uh, game. He was a gastrointestinal surgeon uh, who pioneered new treatments. Um, he was uh, served um, on the, as the, uh, the chairman of a standing committee for the Secret- Secretary of State for Health. Uh, he wrote at least six books and contributed um, uh, chapters to at least 36 textbooks on surgery. He was right at the top of his professional life. But he was also a Christian, a faithful Christian. Uh, the obituary in The Independent speaks of his energy, integrity, gentleness, kindness, and humility. At his funeral, uh, we heard about those colleagues who he had shared the gospel with as he'd gone along. Um, he was a man full of integrity, uh, a life uh, certainly lived uh, well. And it struck me. Uh, I was asking questions about my own future, and uh, Alan Johnson's example was one that I wanted to follow as a Christian. Well, I wonder what about you? How do you evaluate your life? Life is a journey. Travel it well. So says a US Airlines advert that I saw once. Well, do you feel you are traveling it well? Well, how do we tell? How can we tell as Christians uh, whether our lives are going well, whether we're living them in a way that we're not wasting them? Well, Mark 10 gives us something of an answer. Uh, Jesus' answer in this passage is as striking as it is uh, life-changing. For Jesus says that a life lived well for Christ is a life of sacrificial service. A life lived well for Christ is a life of sacrificial service. How different that is to the world, whose attitude was summed up in a T-shirt I saw once, said, life revolves around me. That's the way we think, isn't it? Life revolves all around us. Uh, And actually, that's exactly what the disciples thought in Mark 10. Let's meet them uh, and see what they thought. You see, first of all, in this passage, we see 
uh, the disciples' desire for status. The disciples' desire for status. We meet them, uh, James and John, in verse 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they come to Jesus. Now, notice the context of this little section. Look back at verse 32. Notice that Jesus and his band of disciples were on their way to Jerusalem. Why were they going there? Well, Jesus was going to be arrested and put to death. Notice that in verse uh, 32, those who follow him are afraid. They know what's coming um, at Jerusalem. Jesus is heading to the cross. Only the disciples shouldn't have been astonished. They shouldn't have been afraid. For it's the third time in Mark's gospel that Jesus has told them that he's going to die. Um, You could note down chapter 8, verse 31, and chapter 9, verse 31. Jesus tells them uh, uh, there again. See, by this point in the Gospels, the disciples ought to know that Jesus' mission is to die. But they still don't get it. And this little episode in in Mark's Gospel reveals why they don't get it. Because they think greatness is all about status rather rather than about service. Now, one uh, big reason behind this is that they don't don't get Jesus' identity. Look down at verse 35. So they come to Jesus and they say, teacher, teacher. Now, Jesus has just uh, given the game away as to who he is. Look back at verse um, uh, 33. See, Jesus refers himself there to the Son of Man. We're going up to Jerusalem, Jesus says, and the Son of Man will be betrayed. Etc. Now, the Son of Man, as you'll know, is the name taken from the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. Uh, the character in Daniel 7, uh, the one to whom God gives all power and authority. Now, the disciples kind of maybe, maybe realize that, but they get the wrong end of the stick. Uh, because uh, look at what they ask uh, Jesus. Um, uh, verse uh, 35, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. They recognize Jesus is a man uh, maybe headed for glory, and so he's the one to ask. Uh, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Well, Jesus, being gracious, responds, what do you want me to do for you? Verse uh, 37. And then their response gives the game away. Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Uh, now, it's, it's a request that maybe is in line with Jesus' uh, title as the Son of Man, but do you see what they're saying? They're saying, Jesus, if you're going to be in number 10... Downing Street, well, we want to be in number 11. Uh, we want to be right at your, at your right and your left. Uh, we want your reflected glory, Jesus. You see, they wanted status and not just five minutes of fame. They wanted uh, the glory uh, shared uh, with Christ. But notice they wanted status without the suffering. See, the cross is alien to their way of thinking at the moment. And so Jesus replies to them in verse 38. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? If they want glory, Jesus says, well, then there are some conditions to be met. For Jesus will only be in glory because he drank the cup. Now, what does that mean? Well, the cup is a reference to the Old, the Old Testament uh, picture of God's judgment, the, uh, the cup of God's wrath. In Jeremiah chapter 25, we get further description of this cup. It's a cup filled with the wine of God's anger, and God's enemies are forced to drink it. It's a cup that's described as very dreadful. It makes those who drink it objects of horror and scorn. Those who drink it, the text says, stagger and go mad. It ruins them. 
Now this is the cup that Jesus drank on the cross as he faced the full force of God's anger. Same idea is at work in the word baptism in verse 38. Uh, the baptism refers uh, to, I think, to Noah's flood, the, the earth being drenched, as in baptism, um, with God's judgment. And on the cross, Jesus was, as it were, drenched with the waters of God's judgment. Now, you see, that is why Jesus is in glory. That is why he's on the throne, because he went to the cross. The pathway to glory was the pathway uh, via the cross. And the point is, it had to be the same for the disciples, If they wanted the best seats in Jesus' kingdom, well, then they would have to undergo something of the same suffering. So he asked them, can you drink the cup that I drink? And, of course, they don't really understand what they're saying. So they say, yes, of course we can. Of course we can, verse 39, they answered. But they don't really understand what they're saying. For one day, as Jesus knows, verse 38, uh, they would indeed uh, drink the cup. that he drank, following him in taking up their crosses. Not that they would die for people's sins like Christ did, but, well, they would uh, undergo something of the same suffering. So James was killed with a sword, and uh, John died on the Isle of Patmos as a martyr. Do you see their desire, their desire for status? It's a desire that speaks of arrogance and pride. Uh, Now, um, one of my hobbies is running. Some of you might know I went for a run yesterday. Um, I I love running. I've done the odds half marathon and the odd 10K. Um, Now, imagine if I turned up to the Olympics um, this year. Um, I turned up on whatever date the uh, the 1,500 metres is. And, you know, just turned up at the door with my running shoes and said, you know, hello, um, I'd like to run today. Uh, it's, it's okay, I haven't done any training, but that's fine. You know, I've, I've done a couple of half marathons and, you know, quite a good 10K time. You know, I'll be fine. You know, don't worry. Um, well, of course, I'd be turned away. It would be arrogant. I'm not good enough to be an Olympiad because I haven't trained. I haven't suffered the punishing schedule of ice baths and five o'clock in the morning runs and, uh, and sprints and, and, and training at altitude. I couldn't have the status of an Olympiad because I haven't suffered with the training. Well, James and John want glory and status, but without the cost and the pain that Jesus had to go to get there. But the shock is that it's not just James and John. See, look back um, at chapter 9 in Mark and verse 34. Chapter 9 and verse 34. And see that all of the the disciples are at this. See, they argue about who is the greatest. See, all the disciples want Status, it's not just James and John. And so back in chapter 10, that's probably why we read in verse 41 that the other 10 were indignant with James and John. Probably they wished that they'd thought of asking Jesus first. See, they all wanted status. You see, we all do. That is our, a reflection of our pride. We all want status, but without the suffering and the cost that go with it. See, a life lived well for Christ is a life of sacrificial service, but we don't think so because we share the disciples' desire for status. Let me speak to us as musicians. I think there are at least three dangers uh, in uh, being uh, musical in church, three ways in which our pride and our desire for status can show itself. Pride, performance, and perfectionism. Uh, pride, thinking that because we're, mu- because we're musical, we are therefore more important 
than others in the congregation. Um, I speak to myself in all of this as well. Uh, just because we're up at the front uh, and we desire to be seen, uh, we think we're, we're more important. I wonder, it's a good question to reflect on sometimes. Would you be just as willing to serve in your church in an unseen way, in a way that was hidden from view, maybe the cleaning or the coffee rotor? Or are you just doing music because you want to be seen? Our pride, thinking we're more important. Then the danger of performance, uh, wanting to show off. Uh, I wonder how much do you play? It's a good question to ask yourself as well. How much are you on the rotor? How much, when you are on the rotor, how much do you actually play? It's easy to play, uh, I've done it myself, complicated and, and busy things just to sound good. You, you sort of subconsciously play to the galleries or play to the congregation because you want to perform, you want to show off. Again, it's pride at work. And then perfectionism, when we aim for perfection at all costs. As a leader, when you keep people later than you've said just to work on an arrangement. Or when you, you sort of hurt other musicians just to get the arrangement right. Another question to, to get to this how do you deal with failure? Failure in yourself, failure in others. Uh, do you resent criticism? Um, it's easy to do that. Again, it might be a sign of, of perfectionism, seeking too much from music. Well, there are three dangers. And it's a danger not just in the musical world, it's a danger in all of the, our Christian lives to watch out for pride, where we want status. Without suffering. So see the disciples' desire for status. Well, let's see, secondly, the Saviour's call for service. The Saviour's call for service. See, a life lived well for Christ is a life of sacrificial service. Let's examine this call for service. As we've seen back in Mark 10, the disciples are all as bad as each other. And so Jesus gathers them all together in verses 42 and 43 to teach them a lesson about service and he says in verse uh, 42 you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them he takes them in their mind's eye imagine a, <coughs> a sort of g8 summit or a, a summit of world leaders you know there's barack obama and there's uh, david cameron and angela merkel and um, all the world's leaders of the nations. And Jesus says, look at them and think about how they, how they uh, see themselves. See, here are the really powerful people of the world and, and see why they're powerful. They have whole nations under them. See, the world judges power by how many, uh, how many servants you have, by how many people are under you. The world measures greatness by status, by how much money in the bank, by how expensive your clothes are, by... How many servants you have, but not in Jesus' kingdom. See verse 43, not so with you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Jesus turns our idea of greatness on its head. Jesus says that the greatest person in the kingdom is not the one with the most servants, but the one who serves the most. Like the mother who selflessly loves her children day in, day out. The faithful worker who keeps on serving their boss when, even when he makes unreasonable demands. 
In Jesus' kingdom, greatness is seen in selfless, sacrificial service. And we must serve like that, not lording it over people, but serving them. See, a life to live well for Christ is a life of sacrificial service. Let me speak to you as a, if you're a, we're all at different stages, aren't we, in, in life. If you're at sort of the young end, if you're youth or students, you're sort of embarking out on, on life, maybe early in your career, and you've still got big decisions to make. Can I ask you to make service your priority? Not to, not, to, not to run after the things that the world would tell you are important. That, 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 that job with lots of money, the big house, the mortgage. Run after service. Make service your priority. Let me speak to you if you're a little bit further on and maybe um, with family and, and work and, and things. Again, think, how can you make your, your life, your family life, your home life about service? Can you open your home to others? Can you serve in your marriage and your family? And then if you're perhaps at the other end, if you're maybe heading towards retirement, and again, big decisions about how you might use your time. Again, can I urge you to think, how can I, how can I serve with my retirement? How can I make my, my free time about others and about Christ? And then let me speak to us as musicians again. We've seen three dangers, pride, performance, perfectionism. Well, here are three aims in line with Jesus' call to serve over the page, I think, in your booklets. Humility, service, and diligence. You see, instead of pride, aim for humility. Think of yourself as no better than anyone else. Music is a gift. It's not a right. Uh, we don't have a... In a sense, we, we have no more right to serve than anyone else. And, and you need everyone else. We need everyone else in church just as much as they need you. So be humble. Aim for humility. Then aim for service. Aim to serve with your music. Uh, aim to, uh, to bless others, to build them up. Uh, a good question, to, again, to reflect on with this is, how do you treat those other musicians around you who are not as skilled as you? Do you encourage them? Do you build them up? And again, if, you're, if you lead music or you lead your group, how do you treat those musicians who maybe don't have as much to do in, in, in the group? Um, do you, again, seek to involve them and encourage them? So service, aim for service. And then diligence. Rather than perfectionism, aim for diligence. So working hard but able to fail. So you think back to last night's talk in, in Hebrews. The cross gives us permission to fail. We don't have to be perfect. We can work hard, we can be diligent, but we don't need to be perfect. So work hard, and then if it all comes together perfectly, well, then it's a bonus. So be diligent, um, but be able to fail. Okay, so three aims there for, for musicians. Well, as we close, let me ask two uh, I guess, questions that, that spring, I think, from, from this. And the first is this. Where do we get the security to live like this? Because don't you find that sometimes you need people's praise? You need status in order to operate. And, and, and actually, humility can be, can be quite difficult because sometimes we get energy, don't we, from, from people speaking well of us. So where do we get the power and the security from? 
to live like this? Well, consider the last verse of the passage, which I've deliberately left till now. You see, Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't already done for us. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. See, if you're weary with service, well, consider Christ. Consider that, consider that more than anyone else, Christ has the right to be served. More than any king or ruler, he has the right to demand our obedience. More than any prime minister or president, he has the right to demand our allegiance. More than the most attractive, the most beautiful person, he has the right to demand our adoration and our worship. You see, if anybody on this planet, on this universe, deserves to be served, it's Jesus Christ. And yet he withheld all of those rights and humbled himself not only to become one of us, but further to die in the most humiliating way on a cross. Now think about the cross. Jesus' death alone would be a worthy example to follow, wouldn't it? I mean, we admire self-sacrifice. But consider that he, he died for you. He laid down his, uh, his rights for you. And when you least deserved it. You see, Christ had a right to demand your, your allegiance and obedience, yet he laid down that right and served you in the most humble way by dying for you. See, what a saviour we have, who's humbled himself to a level and with a depth of love that none of us will ever come close to. And it's in that power that he asks you to serve him. It's with that security that you can serve him and others. No longer do you need other people's praise because you have Jesus' praise. He loves you. He died for you. And that frees you. That frees you to serve others. The second question, I think, is this. Isn't the life of service an unhappy life? There's a sort of British um, stiff upper lipness, isn't there, that suggests that unless we're really miserable, then we're not really loving people as we should. Unless, unless my gift to you really kind of costs me my, you know, I'm just oh, really miserable, then it's not really a gift worth giving. In other words, is it okay to be happy in service? Well, it's not just okay. Uh, it is the way to a happy life. There's a suggestion, I think, in, in the Gospels that, that God gains great joy from his service of us. Think of Luke 15, where we're told that uh, there's much rejoicing in heaven over the, the repentance of a sinner. Um, or, or Luke 12, verse 32, where, where Jesus says that, that our Father is pleased to give us the kingdom. He's pleased. You see, our service should bring us joy. Let me just uh, read from John Piper, I think it's on your sheet, who, uh, who brings this out very well. He says, love is the overflow of joy in God that meets the needs of others. Uh, the overflow is experienced consciously as the pursuit of our joy in the joy of another. We double our delight in God as we expand it in the lives of others. You see, I think it's C.S. Lewis who says something like this, that a joy shared is a joy doubled. And you'll know, I'm sure you'll know, that um, if you love someone, it actually it makes you happy uh, making them happy. In some way, your happiness is tied up in their happiness. Well, that should be true of us as a church. Uh, living for others like this is the route to joy. Uh, because in some sense, our happiness is, it is tied up 
uh, in, the, in each other's happiness. So you see, we must live for others. The life, a life well lived is a life of sacrificial service. Measure your life by that criteria. Don't uh, resist, resist the temptation to, to run after the disciples' desire for status. Instead, will you heed the Saviour's call for service? Let's pray together. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Um, Lord, we recognize that uh, you, uh, of all, have the right to be served, um, that you have the right to demand our uh, allegiance and, and service, and yet you served us in such a humble way um, at the cross. We praise you again for, uh, for dying for us, and we're sorry when, we, uh, when in our pride um, uh, we live for, uh, for our own praise. Lord, would you help us to um, more and more be those who are... Um, all about service. Um, help us to serve each other in our music teams um, and indeed in our lives as our, in general. We pray that we would honour you in this way. In Jesus' name.